You can hear me. I can hear me. That's good. That means I don't need to shout. Okay, well, I've, I'm going to have lots of slides on, um, on the overhead uh, because I've got a lot to say. <laughs> but we're going to start uh, with a prayer. Yeah, Father God, we just praise and thank you for who you are, that you want us to know deep in our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead. So, Lord, I pray you'll just speak to us today, encourage us in your word. Amen. So the theme of my sermon today, it's going to be on the first slide, is uh, why do you seek the living among the dead? And uh, this comes from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I'm going to read from chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 23 and verse 54. Chapter 23 and verse 54. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, it's a fairly obvious answer to that question because they'd seen him die on the cross a few days earlier. Of course, that's, that's their focus. They had seen their Lord and Master die on a cross. Of course they're going to go to the tomb. Well, where is our focus? Is our focus on Jesus dead? Or is our focus on Jesus risen from the dead. I want to look at three things today, really. I want to look at King David. Why am I looking at King David? Well, you'll find out in a minute. And then I want to look at Peter and Paul and how they were transformed by the fact that Jesus was alive. And then I want to look at us, what it means to us. So uh, if we turn to slide number two, and we'll see a story about David. Now, David, King David, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And this is what the prophet Nathan said to him in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 2. Why have you, David, despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And in verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. And verse 22, he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Well, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, 
but he will not return to me. Well, where is David's focus in this awful situation? He could see it this way. I've been a, a really guilty and I've done something awful and the innocent child has died in my place. The innocent son of David has died that I may be forgiven and go free. Isn't that great? No, he doesn't say it's great. He says this is awful. This is awful that the innocent son of David should die that I may go free and be forgiven. He has no hope. He has no hope. He says, I'm going to go to him, but he's never going to return to me. That's it. There's nothing I can do. The innocent child has died in my place and there is nothing I can do. No resurrection hope for David at that time. Awful. Let's go on to slide number three and we see that something else happened to David in 2 Samuel chapter 18 from verse 9. Absalom. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And in verse 14, Joab took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. And in verse 33, and King David was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Where's David's focus here in this story? His son, Absalom, had come along. I said, I want to be king instead of you, David. I'm going to depose you from your throne, King David. Get out of here. And David was in fear for his life. And at last, the good news is that the son of David had died in his place so that David could return to the kingship. But well, David can't see it that way. How can he? Joab, who killed Absalom, he says to David, come on, <laughs> you've won the victory. This guilty one has died. He's been hung on a tree. He's been pierced through. He has been killed. This son of David, who is guilty, is dead now, David. Aren't you rejoicing? And David says, yes, but I'm, I may be an innocent one, but I would rather die in his place. I want to be the one who is hung on the tree. I want to be the one who is pierced through. Oh, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? That's David's heart. I wish that I had died instead of my guilty son. But where's David's focus? All he can focus on is the awful tragedy. Another son of David is dead. Where is the hope? There's no resurrection hope in this story. Let's go on to slide number four. <laughs> and we hear about another son of David. Who is this son of David? In, verse, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, God raised Jesus up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. 
For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Uh, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all we are all witnesses. How David's attitude changed when he began to focus on Jesus' resurrection. He began to have hope because God revealed to him that a son of David would die in his place. He began to understand that a son of David would die on a cross. He began to understand that even though this son of David would die, he would be raised to life. And David says, oh, now I have hope. Now my focus has changed from the awfulness of having no hope, suddenly I have a resurrection hope. This is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter is anointed with the Holy Spirit and he says, this is the message I want to tell you. I want to tell you of David's hope. David's attitude has changed from the awfulness of knowing that there is no hope so the fact that, yeah, I, 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 know, I know there's going to be a son of mine who will conquer death and he will rise up from death. And that means I have hope, David said. I have hope. In verse 26, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. David started to dwell in hope. Even though he'd he'd gone through dreadful situations, awful situations, two of his sons had died, yet he said, now I have hope because I'm looking forward to Jesus. I'm looking forward to Jesus. Well, this is Peter's message to the Jews in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And you see that he is focusing on Jesus' resurrection. But how much does Peter focus on on the crucifixion and the cross. Well, if we go to slide number five, we'll see. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, he says, This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In verse 36, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, normally when we're preaching about the cross, we, we may come up with a good bit of theology. We may say, Jesus died for your sins. We don't go around saying, you killed him. (laughs) We may say, this is really good news. Jesus died for your sins. You killed him. We don't go around saying that too often. Hey, Peter doesn't mind. He'll say it. You killed him. Wow. That's quite a message, isn't it? That's bad news. But Jesus rose from the dead, he's saying. Remember David, he had hope. And this has happened. This has occurred. Jesus has risen from the dead. 
In verse 37, it says, uh, when the Jews heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, well, brothers, what should we do? (laughs) And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, there's a way out, he says. But his focus mainly is talking about the resurrection. The hope comes from the resurrection. There is a hopelessness in the cross at this moment while Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. There's a hopelessness in the cross. You've killed him. Oh no, we're guilty. Well, we could say, well, that was just the day of Pentecost when Peter was totally anointed by the Holy Spirit and speaking by the Holy Spirit. But that was just the day of Pentecost when he was focusing on the resurrection rather than the cross. Let's wait a bit. Perhaps he's changed his mind when it comes to when he wants to speak to the Gentiles in Caesarea. So let's go to slide number six and we'll look at Acts chapter 10. And this is uh, when Peter was sent to uh, Cornelius in Caesarea. And in verse 39, he says, of chapter 10, he says, And we are witnesses of all that Jesus Christ did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. (laughs) That's all he could say about Jesus' death at that moment. They put him to death. Oh, really? That's interesting. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him. And he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. We saw him. He's alive. This is the message he has for Cornelius. The cross is simply mentioned. There's nothing about the theology. Well, hang on. Tell us more about the theology, we say, when we're in church. Tell us more about the the blood he shed. And and Peter's just off. He's he's, he's alive. (laughs) They, They killed him. But he's alive. That's really interesting, isn't it? Why is he focusing so much on the resurrection? Is this just Peter? We'll say, well, this is just Peter. What about Paul? What about Paul? Paul is a great theologian. We know that Paul talks about the cross. I'll tell you now, the cross is amazing. The cross is wonderful. I do not want in any way to say that we don't talk about the cross. But it's really interesting just looking at how they preached. So let's go to slide number seven. We'll see Paul's message to the Jews in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, this is Paul. Acts chapter 13, verse 28. Though they found in Jesus no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Yeah, it just happened. That's what they did. Tell us more, Paul. Tell us more. Oh, yes. Well, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this is fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. (laughs) Ha ha, hallelujah. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. And in verse 37 again he says, he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Where's Paul's focus when he's preaching to these Jews in Antioch? It's on the resurrection. The death happens. We know it's a historical, but, but he's alive. He's alive. This is amazing news. This is great. This is wonderful. That's really interesting, isn't it? 
I find it fascinating because I've heard so many preachers and they will focus on the cross so much. And of course, I've done it myself. I want to focus on the cross. The cross is central to our faith. And yet, when they're preaching to these guys, they're saying, hey, the resurrection is amazing. It's wonderful. I want to tell you about the resurrection. It's amazing. Let's go to slide number eight. This, is, this was Paul speaking to the Jews, but now, what did he say when he spoke to the Gentiles in Athens? Acts chapter 17 and verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Well, others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And that's what caught their ear. That's what caught their attention. They were like, he's, he's talking about this guy who rose from the dead. What's he preaching about? Why is he constantly going on about Jesus raising from the dead? And then later on, uh, they invite Peter, Paul to come and uh, speak to them. And in verse 31, Paul said, Well, God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, well, some mocked, but others said, Ah, we'll hear you again about this. We want to know about this. This resurrection, this is really interesting. This is fascinating. I don't have it on the slides, but in Acts 23, when Paul is speaking to the Jewish temple authorities in Jerusalem, he focuses on the resurrection. In Acts 24, when he is speaking to Governor Felix, he focuses on the resurrection. In Acts 26, when he is speaking to King Agrippa, he is focusing on the resurrection. And you may say, well, hang on a minute, we know Paul. We know if we've read our New Testament, we know that Paul is always talking about the cross. <laughs> so why is he focusing so much on the resurrection when he's actually speaking to people? What's going on? What's Paul's theology? So we need to do a bit of theology. <laughs> Let's go to uh, slide number nine. Uh, I'm, keeping, uh, I'm keeping people busy today, aren't I, on the slides? Here we go. Paul's theology. Romans chapter five says this. God shows his love for us. In verse eight, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are justified by the blood of Jesus. This is absolutely central. Jesus died for us. The cross is absolutely central to Paul's theology. In order for, to, for you to be justified, that is acquitted, proclaimed innocent in God's sight. It is by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. This is absolutely central. Never forget the cross. But if we go forward a chapter, in Romans chapter 4, in verse 25... What does Paul say? Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, hang on a minute. He says he's justified by his blood, and now he's saying he was raised for our justification. It, we are justified because Jesus was raised from the dead, he says. But then he repeats that in chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your salvation is through the resurrection of the Lord. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. But what are we told to believe in our heart in verse 9? 
Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be justified. Do you want to be justified and acquitted in God's sight? It is not just through the cross, it's through the resurrection. Well, how can that be? How can that be? Imagine you are in prison. (laughs) You're in prison. And the judge sits down and he says, don't worry, the fine has been paid. Whatever needs to be done has been paid. You are acquitted, you are free to go. And you say, yes, but I, I don't have a key to the jail cell. I can't get out. And he says, oh, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> Being acquitted is no good. Saying, I've, I've got my little piece of paper saying I'm innocent, but I can't get out of the jail cell. That is no good. We are justified by his blood, by his death on the tree. God says, you are innocent. You are proclaimed innocent now. All of the wrath has been paid. I have poured out my wrath on Jesus. His blood has been shed in your place. You are proclaimed innocent in God's sight. But that's no good if you're still in the grave. Jesus does the work of salvation totally. He saves you fully. He saves you in every way. He saves you by totally forgiving you and he saves you by leading you from the grave. He does the work of salvation. He will lead you from the grave. And he proves that by the fact that he is the first to rise from the dead. He's already risen from the dead. He's already showed and proved that there is a resurrection hope, that the grave is not the end. You will not be abandoned in the grave just saying, well, I was innocent. I was proclaimed innocent because Jesus died, but I'm still dead. No, you will be raised from the grave. There is a resurrection hope. Isn't that wonderful? Because Jesus has already done it. He's proved it. And that's why it's so important to look to the, to the resurrection and say, Jesus has raised from the dead. I believe it. I believe that there is a resurrection hope. I believe that I will not be abandoned to the grave. I believe that, yes, I am forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. But I will also not just be forgiven in, in hell. <laughs> I will not just be forgiven laying in the grave. I will be forgiven and I will rise from the grave. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's Paul's theology. What was Paul's gospel? Uh, Let's go to slide 10. Uh, In slide 10 we have 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says this, We preach Christ crucified. Never forget the cross of Christ. We preach Christ crucified. Yes, Paul always talks about the cross of Christ. But when he gets to chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Hallelujah. Absolutely. He focuses on the cross. He says, remember when I was preaching to you? I was preaching to you about the cross. I was telling you Christ died for your sins. In verse 4, he says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you remember? I told you also that he raised from the dead. Do you remember this? I was telling you that. 
And do you remember what else I told you when I was talking about my gospel message? I also told you in verse 5 that he appeared to Cephas. Do you remember I was talking about how he appeared to Cephas? And then, oh, I remember I talked to you about how he appeared to the twelve. Yes, because he, he rose from the dead. He's alive. And then, oh yes, I remember I told you he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Oh yeah, I remember I told you he appeared to James because he's alive, because he rose from the dead. And then to all the apostles. I remember I told you to all the apostles. Do you remember me telling you? <laughs> Do you remember? He's alive. And verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Do you remember? I've seen him. He's alive. I want to tell you he's alive. That's Paul's gospel message. Yes, absolutely, the cross is central. (laughs) But the cross is just the starting point. The resurrection is the fulfillment. Let's see another thing about Paul's theology. It's slide 11, please. In slide 11, we, we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul says this in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And again, he repeats it in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is, in, is futile. There's no point having any faith at all if Christ isn't raised from the dead. There's no point. You can focus on the cross all you like and just say, I've been forgiven, it's wonderful. But if you're, if you're still going to die <laughs> and not be raised to life, if there's no resurrection hope, you're still in prison and you haven't got the key to get out. So we've seen David, David, how he had absolutely no hope. But then he started to focus on Jesus prophetically. He saw Jesus raising from the dead and he had hope. We've seen Peter and Paul, how that's their theology, that's their understanding. Yeah, Jesus did die, but he rose again. And they're focusing on the resurrection as well as the cross. But what about us? What about us? Well, um, If we turn to slide number 12, we'll see, uh, we can think about our future resurrection. I'm not going to concentrate on this too much, but uh, I just wanted to quote from Job. Job said these words in chapter 19, verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. (laughs) Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Ah, my heart faints within me. Job endured pain. He endured suffering. He endured a dreadful situation. But he said, all I can do in this dreadful situation is focus on the fact that there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection hope. And in fact, Jesus had that same focus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Actually, I'll just uh, turn to it because I didn't put it on a slide, but I'll just turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and read you what it says about Jesus. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, Jesus also had a resurrection hope. He had that hope that he would be resurrected and go and be with the Father. And so we too can have that resurrection hope. But I don't really want to look too much at the future resurrection today. I just want to mention it. I have to mention it. (laughs) But I don't want to look at it today. I want to say something else. I want to think about the present, the here and now. So uh, can we have slide number 13, please? And look at our present baptism. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, baptism, it symbolizes the fact that we're united with Jesus. Each one of us who have been baptized will have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we may say, well, it's a wonderful uh, time of just witnessing to others. But, but it's more than that. When we're lowered into the water, that symbolizes that we are sharing in the death of Jesus. We are united with Jesus in his death. He died for us. But we're not left in the water. Who here, when they were baptized, was left in the water? I think you're all breathing. I think somebody grabbed you out again quick, yeah? I would hope so. That's normally what happens. You sort of trust your pastor to, to and you, get you out quick. Yeah, absolutely. We're not still there. We weren't left in the water. We were raised up from the water. And that symbolizes we're sharing in Jesus' resurrection. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul also says this, Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And even Peter chimes in in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, the focus there is on the resurrection of Jesus in baptism. For what does this mean? How can we try and understand this this concept? I wanted to sort of paint a picture to you of of what baptism means. So uh, if we go to slide 14, and I'm going to talk about Moses being baptized. Now, uh, it it never talks about, (laughs) these are my own words, Moses wasn't literally being baptized. But in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. You remember that story? And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, a woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And in verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, 
I drew him out of the water. I always wonder, why didn't Pharaoh's daughter get in trouble? Pharaoh said, <laughs> Pharaoh says, every son that is born to the Hebrews, cast into the Nile. Why didn't Pharaoh's daughter get in trouble? I think it's because the law was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you should cast into the Nile. Moses was cast into the Nile. He shared in the death of all of those other kids who were cast into the Nile. He shared in the death. But Moses was brought out of the Nile. And the Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, but I drew him out of the water. That's where I found him. That's where I pulled him out again. It's like a little resurrection story, isn't it? There he is, condemned to death, going into the waters. He's fulfilled the whole law. Pharaoh can't go to his daughter and say, he should be, in the, he should be uh, cast into the waters. It's like, well, he's already been cast into the waters. He's been pulled out again. I pulled him out. Nothing you can do now. The law has been fulfilled. You can't keep on casting him into the waters. The law has been fulfilled and he's out. When we share in Jesus' death, we are sharing in that same situation. We've been put into the waters. That we're, <laughs> we deserve death. We deserve to die for all of our sins, for all of those things that we've done wrong. And we share in Jesus' death. But just as God raised up the Lord Jesus and pulled him out of the waters, pulled him out of the pit, caused him to raise again on the third day. So we also share in that resurrection hope. One more slide. <laughs> slide number 15. The Israelites were baptised. Actually, Paul does mention that this is a type of baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. So I'm quite happy to say that Israelites were baptised. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. The Israelites went through a type of baptism as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So what happened? Well, previously they had gone through the Passover. You remember the story of the Passover? A lamb had been killed. The blood had been put on the lintels of the door. The people had been saved from the angel of death. And God said, always remember the Passover. Always remember it. Year upon year, always remember the Passover. It's going to be one of your most amazing celebrations of times when you were rescued from the angel of death. 
But he said also, when you're celebrating the Passover, you don't have to go back to Egypt to celebrate it. You don't have to go back to the place where you used to live and say, oh, I remember painting this doorway. (laughs) You've passed through the waters. You are saved now. So you have to live as free people and don't return to Egypt. And the waters close behind them and they can't go back. They can't go back. Likewise, Jesus said, always remember the cross. Do this when you, uh, whenever you eat and drink in remembrance of me. Always remember the cross. Always remember what he did on the cross. Always remember his blood shed for you. Always remember his body broken for you. Always remember the cross. That's why we always preach the cross. Always remember it. But you have been raised with Christ. Live out your baptism every day. (laughs) Every day know that you have passed through the waters. Every day know that you are set free. Every day know that Jesus is alive and you are alive with him. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, Jesus does the complete work of salvation. He has paid the ransom to set you free. And he has also raised you up to live in victory. And that's today why we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive. He rose from the dead. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? That there is hope for us. (laughs) David had no hope until he fixed his eyes on Jesus and said, now I have a hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Peter and Paul said, let me tell you, there's now hope. Yeah, they killed him on the tree, but now there's hope because he rose from the dead. Each of us, when we go through the waters of baptism, (laughs) we enter into that full hope and say, yeah, I remember that day of baptism. I don't have to be baptized 20 times a year. I don't have to keep on going through baptismal every year and be constantly washed. No, it was once. I got baptized. I went through the waters. Now I'm out of the waters. I'm living that resurrection life now, today, because of Jesus who is alive. Hallelujah. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Be good to sing one final song just to celebrate this. We've got that certificate of acquittal in one hand. That prison door is flung wide open for us to step into new life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it's all about. If you want to know more, if you want to ask any questions, if you want to pray about anything later on, please grab me or one of the others, grab Stephen later. We'd love to pray with you. But if you've not made that commitment to Jesus, if you've not stepped into that new life that he's made available for you, don't walk away thinking you'll think about it. Do that today. Come and find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. Shall we stand? Let's sing Greatest Day in History.